Don't be asleep. Like I said earlier, our materialistic, naturalistic culture is so asleep to this stuff, and it makes us vulnerable. It makes us live a life that doesn't look like warfare. It makes us susceptible to the temptations and to, and to, uh, to Satan's schemes and devices and deception. It makes us vulnerable to that stuff. Why? Because we just act like it doesn't even exist. Be awake to this stuff. Don't be asleep to the spiritual realm. This is a realm that was created by God. Our God is the one that created angels. Don't you know that? He created angels. It happens somewhere in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, between heaven and earth. God created heavens and the earth. And it's somewhere in between there because Job 38 tells us that when the earth's foundations were laid, the angels were screaming for joy. Angels created by God. And then a large portion of those angels fell and rebelled against God, led out by Satan. We call those fallen angels demons. They're well-ordered. They have schemes. I want you to be awake to this. In fact, let me read Ephesians chapter 6. Maybe this will be an encouragement to be awake to it. Ephesians chapter 6, this is verse 11 and 12. Listen to this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Brothers and sisters, he has schemes. He has thought out plans to disrupt your faith, to ruin your life. Are you aware of that? Are you awake to it? Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Well, what do we wrestle against? But against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That just gave you a description of the spiritual enemy, Satan and his demons, Satan and his, as ordered into battalions and all that kind of stuff, and there's schemes for your life to uproot your faith. They're deceitful. Revelation chapter 12, verse 12 says that Satan has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Now Legion, the demon, his demons knew that too. Do you hear what they said to Jesus? Have you come to torment us before the... Before the time, they knew our time short. Satan knows his time is short. And he comes down in great wrath. He hates you. Revelation 12, 17 says he comes to make war on you. To make war on the church. Are you awakened to that? Or are you asleep to it? Think about the hatred they had for this, these two men. They got these two men living in a cemetery, cutting themselves, self-mutilators. Think how much they hate these men. They hate you in the same way. Grace Community Church, don't be, don't be asleep to this stuff. Right, I said four headings. Second heading, what did the demons say? We, we get their words. What they, you know, they, they run up to Jesus, crumple in fear. 
And what they say to Jesus, we can find in verse 29 through 31. Let's look at it again. Verse 29. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him. Again, demons talking to Christ. The demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. What man rules over legions of demons? What kind of man is this? You know, we, said, we, we saw that in the previous passage. What kind of man is this who commands the winds and the water and they obey him? Well, what kind of man is this that the demons are, are trembling before and they obey his, very, his voice, they, they obey his word? What kind of man is this? Now, it says here, if you saw the word begged, you see that word there? They, it says the demons were begging him. Charles Spurgeon called this demonic whining. The demons were whining, begging him, please, if, if you are going to cast us out, cast us into that herd of pigs over there. Does Satan rule over legion? Does Satan rule over legions of demons? And in a sense, yes. There's a phrase, I think it's Matthew 25, 46, where it says, um, Satan and his angels. They're his angels. These demons are his angels, Satan and his angels. So he, he rules over them. He's at the head. But there's another sense, and you need to get this, that he ain't the ultimate ruler. They tremble, for, they tremble before Christ. And they do what he says. Now, these demons, what do they say about Jesus? What do they know and understand about Jesus? Well, look at the passage we just read. They call him what? Son of God. They just called Jesus the Son of God. Now, that's a title of divinity. John chapter 10, uh, if you go read John 10, you got Jesus. He's, um, he's referring to God as his Father. And he's saying, I and my Father are one. He's referring to himself as the Son of God. And you know what they say to him when he refers to himself as the Son of God? They say this to him, blasphemy. You being a man, make yourself God. See, to, to claim to be the Son of God is a claim of divinity. You're claiming to be God. You're a man claiming to be the Son of God. You're a man claiming to be divine. And they look at him and they say, Son of God. God is Trinity. Three persons. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20 says, Baptize him in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Father is fully, truly God. The Son is fully, truly God. The Holy Spirit is fully and truly God. So there's three gods? No, there's not three gods. There's one God. This is mind-blowing stuff. And Jesus claims to be the second person of the Trinity. He claims to be God, and the demons believe it too. They say, Son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? think about it the demons just looked at a human he had an eye color he, he had hair he had skin bones and his legs could be broken they just looked at a human and they said God the son 
The demons knew about the incarnation. We, we always hear about that. Um, uh, you know, we read about it every Christmas where at the incarnation, when God takes human flesh onto his divine nature, when, when he becomes fully God or truly God, truly man, we hear about the incarnation and, and we hear about those angels that were rejoicing and singing the good angels. Remember, they were singing to the shepherds. But you understand the bad angels, the demons, they knew about this too. They know about the incarnation and they look at Jesus and they crumple before him. And they call him the son of God. Now, another thing, so they, they call Jesus the son of God. What else do they say about him? They understand that Jesus is the final judge. Have you come here to torment us before the time? In other words, there's a time where torment's going down for demons. There's a time coming. That time is the final judgment, and Jesus is the one doing the tormenting. Have you come here to torment us before the time they understood Jesus to be the final judge? Jesus is the demon tormentor. That'll happen at a certain time, at the final judgment. Now, I want you to understand this. Hell, hell is the place for humans and demons. Hell's a place for humans that reject Jesus, and hell is a place for demons. We see this in the scripture. Go read Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 through 15, and it says Satan is cast into the lake of fire. Next few verses, those who reject Jesus are cast into the same lake of fire. Matthew 25, verse 41, I believe it is. It, it says, he looks at some humans and he says, he's going to say, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Humans and demons will burn in hell. Now, another thing to know about hell is hell is torment. That's what it says in our passage. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Hell is torment. In fact, hell is eternal torment. Revelation 20.10, tormented Day and night, forever and ever, it never ends. Hell is eternal torment. And this might be the most shocking reality. Hell is eternal torment from God. It's not just some random torment. God has nothing to do with it. No, it's eternal torment from God. It's from Him. Listen to what they say right here in our passage. Have you come here to torment us before the time they understood that jesus if you come you've come to torment us eternal torment is from god <clears throat> i've been reading this um thing called fisher's catechism <clears throat> it's really good it's a it's an explanation of the westminster shorter catechism 107 questions and answers about the things of god it's really good. Some stuff I disagree with in it, but that's good overall. And what Fisher's Catechism does, back in the 1700s, somebody took each question and put more question and answers all on it. So it's just question and answer in Scripture, question and answer in Scripture. It's really good stuff. And this one little phrase blew me away that is fitting with what we're talking about. It was talking about the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere at all times. There's nowhere you can hide from his presence, the omnipresence of God. And it's asking the questions like, 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 
what does it mean that he's present on earth? And what does it mean that he's present in heaven? And then it asks this question. How is he present in hell? How is God present in hell? And here's the answer. In a way of tremendous power and justice, upholding the damned in their being, that they may lie under the strokes of the, his vindictive wrath forevermore. Man, that shocked me. How's he present in hell? He's literally upholding the being of those angels, fallen angels, demons, and humans that reject Christ. He's upholding their being so that they'll be able to lie under the strokes of his vindictive wrath, wrath forevermore. Hell is torment from God, and these demons knew it. Christians need to know a lot about hell. Christians need to think deeply about hell. Well, well here's, here's one aspect of that. Brothers and sisters, do you hate Satan and demons? Do you hate them? I hope you do. Look what they did to this, this man, these two men. Don't you hate them? Don't you hate what they do in this world? Don't you hate that evil? Well, guess what? What will justice look like for them? Justice will look like this. One day they're going to stand before the demon tormentor, Christ Jesus himself, and they're going to go to hell forever. The lake of fire. Third point. Third heading in this, this passage. This is where the demons are cast out. So we actually see the demons cast out here. Jesus cast out the demons. Look at verse 32. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Now just try to imagine that scene for a minute. It's amazing, but it's disturbing. Have you thought about how disturbing that is? Go. And what's happening with these these pigs here, this herd of 2,000 or so pigs, it's a disturbing, disturbing scene. We see here again Jesus' authority, right? He just gives them one word, go, that's it, that's all it says here, one word, go. Now that should remind us of what the centurion said earlier in the chapter, remember that? Matthew 8, verse 9, the centurion says, Jesus, I'm a man who understands authority. I'm under authority. And I've got soldiers that are under me. They're under my authority. And here's how he understands authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes. That's authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And here we've got Jesus. If you're going to cast the demons, if you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. Jesus says, go. And they go. Now, this authority is on a level. It's on, it's on a whole nother level than what the centurion has ever experienced. The centurion commands his soldiers, go and they go. Jesus commands his enemy soldiers, and they go. Now, Jesus can command the angels. Uh, uh, Psalm, I think it's Psalm 103, verse 20. The angels who do his word, heeding the voice of of his word. They obey the word of Jesus, but he even reaches over to the enemy's camp and says, go, and they tremble and listen to him. This is authority on a whole another level. 
So the demons obey. They go into the pigs. The whole herd drowns in the sea. Now this is madness, okay? I mean, get the orderly, you know, if you got an orderly visual in your head of what happened here, get that out. They didn't line up and dive over the edge, okay? This is squealing. This is mad rush. This is madness. You imagine being the herdsman there, herding these 2,000 or so pigs, and all of a sudden, this happens over here, and they freak out, and they drown themselves. The bodies are floating out in the sea. Now, this scene raises some questions that, honestly, I don't think you can answer. Of course, people ask them anyway. But I don't think you can answer all the questions that this scene raises. So let me give you a couple examples. Um, one is, um, why did why the demons desire to enter the pigs? I don't know. Why did they want to enter the pigs? I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but it's a question that many people ask. Um, it definitely seems that, that demons uh, want to indwell something. They want a home. When we get to Matthew 12, we're going to say a passage where it says the demons, they go, the demon goes out of a, of, of, of a man and he searches, doesn't find a home, comes back to the original spot. Remember that passage? So it seems like they desire a home. So I, I don't know the answer to why they want to be in pigs, but I do know this. This is something to take away. In the other gospel, they say, please don't send us to the abyss, but send us into that herd of pigs. Please don't send us into the abyss. That's a word for hell, to torment. Don't send us to hell. Don't send us to torment. Send us into the pigs. So something you could take away is it's more desirable to indwell pigs than to go to hell. Hell's a terrible place. Another question. Why did Jesus allow this to happen? Why did Jesus allow this to happen? Now, a lot of people, I think it's ridiculous, but a lot of people ask that question of like, all oh, those poor pigs. Um, why did Jesus let these pig- happen to these pigs? Or maybe something even a little better would be, uh, that was these men's property. These herdsmen, that was their property, right? Why are you letting their property go be drowned in the sea? So, you know, that's the question. I don't have an answer for that, of why he allowed it. Uh, Spurs- when people were questioning that, Spurgeon said something like, um, people that ask those questions care more about swine than souls. Um, little jab there. <clears throat> so I don't fully know the answer to that, but I do know this. This event would have made something really, really clear. When those men are sitting there, and they're clothed now, and in their right mom, saved by Jesus, delivered by Jesus, when they're sitting right there, Everybody around will know it's because something went out of them. This would have made it very, they didn't just disappear and all of a sudden he's better. It would have been made very, very clear because 2,000 pigs just ran off a cliff and drowned themselves. Something just happened here. He has, therefore, he has authority over the whole spiritual realm. Legions bowed down to him. Those drowning pigs would have made that very clear. Uh, fourth heading, <clears throat> we see the Gadarenes' response to Jesus in verse 33 and 34. The Gadarenes' uh, people, their response. Now, I want you to catch the plain, we're going to read it, just catch the plain sense of this. This has got to be one of the most anticlimactic things you could read here, okay? Look at this. 
The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, here's the anti-climax, they begged him to leave their region. They begged him to leave their region. They asked him to leave. I think that's a reminder for us of, um, of what Greg said last week. Greg said, eyeballing miracles does not produce faith. Amen to that. If you've ever said that, man, if my friend could just see a miracle, they'd be saved. Bull. Eyeballing miracles does not produce faith. And it did produce faith in those herdsmen or the people of that city who heard it, heard about the miracle. So why did they ask him to leave? Why, why did they ask Jesus to leave after this event? And again, we're not given a reason for that. We're not given an answer to that. Was it because of fear? I mean, it says there had to be some fear involved. I mean, it happened, and what did the herdsmen do? They didn't go, man, let's go meet this guy. They ran into the city. Tell everybody what happened. So fear, you know, this is, this, is, this is power we've never seen before. We need to ask him to leave. Maybe it was a love of money. You know, these, th these pigs, this is a herd of pigs, man. This is like dollars in the wallet, right? This is their income. Maybe they love money. Maybe they hated what he did. Maybe they cared more about swine than souls. Um, there's a lot of people that end up going to hell because of a love for money. You remember the rich young ruler? What must I do to have eternal life, Jesus? What must I do? He eventually says, well, go sell all that you have and come follow me. Oh, but he was a rich man. He loved his money. He loved his stuff. Love of money is going to be the reason a lot of people end up going to hell and rejecting Jesus and going to hell. So maybe that was it. It could be they just wanted things to remain normal and, and comfortable. And here comes Jesus into town, and he's causing a disturbance. Now, I don't know if that's the reason, but I know that many people will go to hell in the last day with that same kind of mindset. Look, I'm good with honoring Jesus on my lips. I'm good with honoring him with my mouth as long as he doesn't disturb my life. And a lot of people reject Jesus in that way. But don't forget the call. What's the call? We, we just read, we just meditated on it together in chapter 8 verse 18 through 22 come follow me forget all that come follow me whoever doesn't forsake all that he has can't be my disciple if you love your life you'll lose it but if you hate your life in this world you'll keep it for eternity christ for everybody that he saves christ causes a disturbance in their life and that mindset of i just want to stay comfortable i just want to stay normal no problems no disturbance a lot of people have rejected Christ that way, ended their life, and are in hell right now because of that. And here's these men asking Jesus, the, the, the one that commands legions of demons what to do, that just delivered the worst sinner in the town and made him right again. And they're asking him to leave. Final takeaway I want to give you really just comes down to trust Jesus. So we're looking at who this is. Y'all, trust him. 
Don't you think you should have confidence in this one that's being described to us in this passage of Scripture? Now, if you're, if you're, if you're listening to these words and we're, you know, we're meditating on this together, hopefully, by God's grace, you're being awakened to the spiritual realm, to, to Satan and demons and spiritual warfare. I hope that's been a prayer, that we would be awakened to that, that reality, that you can't touch, see, or smell. But as you're awakened to it, you have there's a temptation that comes behind that to be afraid or to be anxious over it. And what I'm telling you to do is, look, we just got a description of our Savior Jesus to whom we belong, and he dominates demons. So don't be afraid. Don't be anxious, but trust him. Now, now some people have, have never been anxious or fearful over that spiritual realm at all, and it, but it's not because they're trusting Jesus because they just don't think about it. There's just no reality, and, and, and Satan loves that, by the way. You just have no thoughts, no reality of the spiritual realm. It's nothing there. But if you, if you lean in, you consider this reality of Satan and, and, this, and this enemy, Satan and his. You need to find comfort and not be afraid because you see that? Go. They do whatever he tells them to do. So I want to encourage you to trust him. Without Jesus, you have every reason to fear. In fact, I would encourage you, and we're going to read a couple, uh, uh, two verses in just a moment. And one of those verses that we're going to close with is going to speak about Satan being disarmed in your life as a part of your salvation. So as you think about your salvation and what Christ has done, one of the things that he has done is he's delivered you from these principalities and powers. These spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He's protected you from that. It's part of your salvation in Christ. And so let's close with that. Just a few cross-references. Let's just do two of them. Luke chapter 11. So you've seen the dominance of Jesus over demons in our passage. And I just want to read two other verses to you. And see if it can encourage your soul to trust him and have confidence in him. That's the exhortation today. Have confidence in this Savior. Luke 11. Look at verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, that's what he'd been doing, just like we read. He'd been casting out demons. If it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then look at this description. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. That's Satan, fully armed. Garden his own palace, his goods are safe. But then the next verse. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Don't you love that picture of your Savior? He's not sitting around passing. He attacks Satan. He's the one that's stronger than the strong man. Attacks him, strips off his armor, and takes his spoil. That's our Savior. Have confidence in Him. One more verse. Colossians, and then we'll pray. Colossians chapter 2. Go there. The 
This is what I meant by this being a part of your salvation. When you think about different aspects of your salvation, I want you to think about your Savior is the one that not only wipes the record of your sins clean because he paid for them by his own blood. He's not only the one that declares you righteous, justified, as if you're wearing the righteousness of Christ. He's not only the one that adopts you and brings you in as a son, as a daughter, a son of God because of Christ's death on that cross. But there's also an effect in this spiritual realm we're talking about. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Let's start in verse 13. And you, point a finger at yourself, and you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. That's regeneration in Christ. You were dead and Christ made you alive. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. Can you imagine that? All your sins on the record, wiped clean by Jesus. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Here's a beautiful sentence. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Next verse, don't stop there. Next verse, here it is. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's talking about demonic spiritual rulers and authorities. He disarmed Satan and his and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. You have a toothless enemy. You have an enemy that's disarmed. He deceives, he causes problems, but his ultimate weapon of dam damning you to hell, of unforgiven sin, that ultimate weapon he has, death he has no more. By death he destroyed the one that has the power of death, that is the devil. Because of Jesus Christ, the one who cast out legion, we've got a toothless enemy. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you in this area. Lord, please, please let us be a people that are awakened to spiritual warfare. That are, God, make us a people awakened to this fact that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly place. God, I pray that you would awaken us to this stuff, please. And Lord, I pray that through that you would stir us up to be warriors, fighters, soldiers for Christ. Stir our hearts, Lord. God, I pray that you would keep us from fear and worry. Because you're the one that dominates demons. Lord Jesus, you're the demon tormentor. We give you praise, Lord, and we trust you. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.